a minister preached a very short sermon. In fact, I had to do that last week. Minister preached a very short sermon, and he explained, he said, well, my dog got into my office and chewed up some of my notes. That's what happened. My dog got into my office and chewed up some of my notes. And then at the close of the service, a visitor, a visitor went up to the pastor and said, if your dog ever has pops, please let my pastor have one of them. I'm, I'm glad the Lionel's got that. <laughs> Bless you. All right. Our theme today is what the Holy Spirit can do in you and in me. What the Holy Spirit can do in you and me. As we said earlier, today is Pentecost Sunday a day when we especially celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit in a powerful way. It came, he came, the Holy Spirit came in a mighty way in that first century. The word Pentecost, as some of you know, means 50th, 50th. It was the 50th day after the Jewish Passover when the Jews had a special celebration uh, Passover was usually kind of in the early part of April or mid-April, and, uh, and then Pentecost was 50 days after that. Uh, Pentecost was originally a celebration of uh, the giving of God's laws to Moses on, on um, Mount Sinai. It was a celebration for that. And then it was also, also a celebration to express gratitude to the Lord for the harvest. So it had uh, several purposes uh, originally. Then on the celebration day called Pentecost, God decided to do something mighty and something powerful that changed the early Christians into a powerhouse because of the, the power of the Holy Spirit that came upon them. And we begin to discover how and uh, the marvelous ways in which the Holy Spirit worked in the lives of those early believers in Acts chapter 2 and 3, 4, and 5 and, and beyond. So I want us to focus on the wonderful truths that we discover about how the Holy Spirit worked and how the Holy Spirit can work in your life and in mine. So to begin with today... I want us to discover this first truth, which is our human limitations and weaknesses can be transformed into supernatural gifts and abilities. This is, this is what happened with the early disciples in that first century. Uh, to begin with, we learn about uh, the gift of languages. We learn about the gift of languages. One of the special gifts which the early believers experienced when they were filled with the Holy Spirit was the gift of languages. Look at Acts chapter 2 here, beginning at the first verse. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. 
Then what looked like tongues, what looked like flames or tongues of fire, appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. Some of your translations say in other tongues. As the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Verse 5. At that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native language. Here, here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia. Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all, we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. Let's pause right there. Isn't that marvelous as we read that and just try to imagine the original, the original scene? You might be interested to know that the original term uh, translated languages or, or tongues in verses 6 and 8 where we just read, the original word in the Greek uh, was and is dialectos, dialectos from which we get dialect, okay? We get that word dialect. Uh, Dr. Charles Swindle says, remarkable. Those untrained monolingual Galileans were suddenly, suddenly able to communicate in the native dialects of individuals from regions far removed from Palestine. And if you're wondering, if you're wondering why the Holy Spirit would have given them the special gift of languages on this occasion, Dr. Ralph Earle, in his commentary, gives us this beautiful answer. Dr. Earle says, the purpose of the languages seems to have been for the more effective evangelization of the multitude of Jews and proselytes, many of whom would comprehend the gospel message better in their own mother tongue than in the commonly spoken Greek or Aramaic. And by the way, I had the privilege of studying under Dr. Ralph Earle when I was in seminary. He was a very godly, brilliant Bible scholar, and he also was one of the translators of the New International Version uh, of the Bible, just for your interest. The question has sometimes been raised as to whether the miracle was in the speaking or in the hearing. That is, did these Holy Spirit-filled believers speak in different languages which they normally couldn't speak in, or did, did the Lord somehow uh, enable the listeners to hear them in their own language? And the answer, the answer is uh, straightforward, and is in verse 4, which says, they began speaking, speaking in other languages. They began speaking, all right? Not only that, but notice, notice what verses 6 to 8 say. Let's look at verses 6 to 8 once again here. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. 
They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, and, and, and so on. The hearers recognized the speakers as Galileans because of their distinctive accent. In other words, people from the north in Galilee were usually looked down upon. They were looked down upon as being uh, lacking in culture, not very educated. And so in a sense, the listeners were saying, how in the world, how in the world did those uneducated hillbillies even learn to speak our magnificent languages and even our dialects? How in the world did, did those hillbillies learn that? That's, that's the kind of thing they were thinking. And the answer, the answer is the Holy Spirit took the human limitations and weaknesses of these believers and transformed them into supernatural gifts. You got that? That's what happened, such as, as giving them the ability to speak other languages, at least on this occasion. But that wasn't the only, that wasn't the, the only supernatural gift which the Holy Spirit give, gave them. Uh, some also received the gift of healing. For those of you making notes, the, the first was there, the gift of languages. Now, uh, point B, the gift of healing. Some of the believers were given the supernatural ability to touch another life and restore physical health. You'll see this in Acts chapter 3, for instance, if you just turn over the page to Acts chapter 3, where we read, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. And then Peter took the, the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up and stood on his feet and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. He went into the temple with them. Now it's important, I believe, it's important for us to realize that although the crippled beggar was healed through his interaction with Peter and John, these disciples knew that it was, it was not their power, it was not their power which brought healing. It was the, the power of the Lord. And they knew that. Look, look at Acts 3, uh, verse, verse 11, for instance, verse 11. 
They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was, uh, was holding tightly to Peter and John. Verse 12, Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? And then look at verse 16. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed, and you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name was healed. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Before your eyes. My friend, here, here's what I want you and me to be gripped by. As you and I allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, the Holy Spirit can transform our human limitations, our human limitations and weaknesses into supernatural gifts and abilities. Now, would those supernatural gifts and abilities be similar or, or the same as believers like Peter and John experienced? Possibly, but not necessarily. Maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit wants to transform your human limitations and mine, our human limitations and weaknesses, such that, such that you, you become a fantastic Sunday school teacher or a fantastic caravan club leader, a fantastic small group leader, a wonderful singer or, or preacher or something else. Pastor Lisa Autar, as you know, is our wonderful associate minister. And by the way, it happened to be her birthday this past week. Happy birthday to you, Pastor Lisa. Now, some of you, some of you have, have known Pastor Lisa from the time when she was a, 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 a little sweet, innocent, shy, angelic little girl. I, I, I've been waiting for some amens from somewhere. <laughs> okay. Now, even, even up to, I don't know, even up to probably 10 years ago, hardly any of us, hardly any of us could have imagined that by the time she was in her early 20s, she would be able to preach dynamic messages to hundreds of people from this pulpit here at Rosewood Church and, and elsewhere. Amen? Amen. And what I'm saying is this. Whether it's Pastor Lisa or the disciples like Peter and John or others of you, all right, you are all examples of how our human limitations and weaknesses can be transformed into supernatural gifts and abilities by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And my wish and prayer for all of us is to say this, is to say, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, take my human frailties and transform them into something for your honor and your glory. Hallelujah. Uh, right on. Now here is, here is what else the Holy Spirit can do in you 
and in me. Takes us to our second truth today. Why don't you read it from the big screen with me? Our hesitancy to be known as Christ's followers can be transformed into bold confidence. Into bold confidence. We see this, for example, in, in Acts 2. Look at Acts 2, verse 14. And 15, it says, Then Peter, Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people, these people who have just been filled with the Holy Spirit, these people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. And then if you look at Acts 2, a little bit later, down at verse 36, 36 it says, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent. You must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. <laughs> Peter continued preaching for a long time strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And then if you look at Acts 4, verse 13, I'll just turn to it quickly there. It says, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. They recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Now, what do you notice? What do you notice in the, in the description of the disciples in the verses that we just read. Well, we notice, we notice they were bold and confident to speak about their faith, to speak about their faith in Jesus and to encourage others to commit their hearts to Jesus. That's what I notice. Now, why, why is this observation so important? Because a little while earlier, these same men had been afraid of being found, found, found out by the Jews that they were or had been followers of Jesus. They had silently, uh, they, they hid silently behind closed doors. And the last thing, the last thing they wanted was to be pointed out as followers of Jesus. In fact, on the first Easter Sunday after the resurrection, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 19, says this. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. 
We might say, we might say they were frozen with fear. They were. They were frozen with fear. But that was, that was no longer the case now. It was no longer the case, however. Instead, they poured out, they poured out into the public streets of Jerusalem, preaching Christ and urging total strangers to repent and to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. That's how different they were. The followers, the followers of Jesus didn't look any different. They didn't suddenly become uh, learned men, nor were they abruptly made cultured and sophisticated. No, they remained fishermen. They were still the, the good old boys, we might say, but deep within their beings, down inside, they were nothing like they had been, for they had been transformed. They had been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what happened. Acts 2.4 gives us the, the answer as to what happened with them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled. And so the question is, what about you and me? What about you? What about us? Do you have, do you have a hesitancy or, or a reluctance to be known as a follower of Christ at school, at work? in social gatherings, or in your family? Do you want to have a bold confidence? Do you want to have a bold confidence to speak about your faith in Jesus and to encourage others to commit their hearts to Jesus? Is it possible, is it possible that what you need is to cry out to the Lord, to, to seek him and, and say, Lord, I want to be, I need to be filled with your Holy Spirit, fill me, Lord, fill me. Let's go to our third beautiful truth as to what the Holy Spirit can do in you and me. And it is this, why don't you read it with me from the big screen. Our fears and intimidation can be transformed into a sense of invincibility. I probably should have put in there a sense of responsible invincibility. All right. What do some of these words mean? Intimidation and invincibility. <clears throat> the dictionary says intimidation is being afraid and deterred with threats. Invincibility is incapable of being conquered, overcome, or subdued. Now one place where we see how the fears and intimidation of the apostles were transformed into a sense of invincibility is in Acts chapter 5, beginning at, at verse 17. In Acts 5, verse 17, listen, listen to what happened here. The high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. 
Then he told them, go to the people and give the people this message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple, as they were told, and immediately began teaching. When the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported the jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside. But when we opened the gates, no one was there. When the captain of the temple guard and the leading priests heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where, where it would all end. Then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple, teaching the people. Verse 26, the, the captain with, the, with his temple guards and arrested the temple, the captain went with the temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Then they brought the apostles before the high council, where the high priest confronted them. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name, he said. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a tree. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. So my friends, what do we learn here? What do we discover? What do we discover? We discover how the fears and the intimidation of the disciples were transformed into a sense of invincibility. Do you see that? You see that? All right. When they were told, when they were told, um, we we gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. Yet you filled you filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Peter and the other disciples replied, "We must obey." God. We must obey God rather than any human authority. Or some of your Bible translations say, we must obey God rather than men. Amen. These early disciples, having been filled with God's Spirit, felt invincible. Let me ask you this. Do you sometimes wrestle with fears which might be preventing you from becoming all that God wants you to be? Are, are you easily intimidated? And is intimidation or fear preventing you from taking steps forward to become all that you can be in God's service? Allow the Holy Spirit Allow the Holy Spirit to transform you so that you have a beautiful sense of responsible, responsible invincibility and can say with the Apostle Paul, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. 
I can do everything through him who strengthens me. Amen? Amen. Here's a fourth truth as to what the Holy Spirit can do in you and me. And certainly, certainly in this message, we, we can't cover uh, everything that the Holy Spirit is able to do. But here's a fourth truth, and it is this. Why don't you read it from the big screen with me? Our convenient style of Christianity is transformed into costly commitment Christianity. I want, I want you to notice, I want you to notice the high cost of commitment to Christ which these early spirit-filled believers lived out. I want you to notice this in Acts 5, beginning, oh, let's start at verse 20, 29. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at the right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. And when they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill him. Verse 34. But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. And then he said to his colleagues, Men of Israel, take care of what you are planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was, uh, there was that fellow, Theodos, who pretended to be some great one. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed, and all his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. Verse 37, after him at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and all his followers scattered. So my advice is, leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, they will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. The others accepted his advice. They called to the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Verse 41, the apostles left the high council rejoicing. I mean, think about this. Think about this. They just got flogged. They got flogged. They were beaten. They were whipped. And then verse 41 says, the apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. Verse 33 tells us their lives were threatened with death. Verse 40 tells us they, they were flogged, they were, they were whipped, they were beaten with whips and, and rods. 
And verse 41 tells us how they, they suffered, how they suffered. One author says, the flogging, the warning, and the threat of death merely fueled the fire of their determination. In fact, they left rejoicing. Verse 41, they left rejoicing. And upon their return to the company of their friends, joy filled everyone's hearts. Not sadness, not disillusionment. The wimps had become warriors. The wimps had become warriors. I find, it, I find it absolutely amazing that those men, once so petty, once so petty and self-centered, are now so strong-hearted and so, so willing to pay a high price for their commitment to Christianity. Do you see that? Do you see that? I hope you, you see it. It is very clear in my, uh, in my mind. I want to praise the Lord. I want to praise the Lord today because many of you here have also allowed the Holy Spirit. You have allowed the Holy Spirit to transform you such that you also have moved from a convenient style of Christianity into costly commitment Christianity. How do I know that? Because on a regular basis, I know it because on a regular basis, many of you invest your precious time in a variety of volunteer ministries in our church and the community. How do I know many of you have been moved by the Holy Spirit from convenience to costly commitment Christianity? I know because throughout, throughout the history of our church, we have always met and or surpassed our goal for giving to world missions. It's not always easy to do that in any church. I also know because without costly commitment, this church building would never have been built and as we have said before, a few months ago, we paid off all the mortgages and all the loans. How do I know many of you have been moved, you've, moved, you've been moved by the Holy Spirit from convenience to costly commitment Christianity? I know by the many individual stories of your personal lives that I have observed over the years. Some of you have already allowed, some of you have already allowed the Holy Spirit to transform your life from a convenient style of Christianity into costly commitment Christianity. Today, my friends, on this Pentecost Sunday, Will you, will you also pray? Will others of you also pray? Holy Spirit, transform my life as well. Transform my life as well from a convenience style of Christianity into costly Commitment, Christianity. 
Amen? So, what can the Holy Spirit do in you and me? This is not the full answer, but there you are, my friends. There you are. Number one, our human limitations and weaknesses can be transformed into supernatural gifts and abilities. Number two, our hesitancy to be known as Christ's followers can be transformed into bold confidence. Is there an amen in the house? Amen. And our fears, number three, our fears and intimidation can be transformed into a sense of responsible invincibility. And number four, our convenient style of Christianity is transformed into costly commitment Christianity. On this Pentecost Sunday, I want to invite all of us to say, Lord, Holy Spirit, bring, bring about these beautiful truths in my own life in, in even greater measure, in the greatest measure possible. And so as we sing this beautiful song, I want to invite you to come as you wish. Come and kneel or stand around the altar and say, Holy Spirit, do in my life what I need done. Holy Spirit, come and fill me. I surrender every nook and cranny of my life to you. Lord, take full control of every aspect of my life. Come, Lord. Do inside of me what needs to be done through the presence and the fullness of your Holy Spirit.